We've been talking the last couple of weeks about this concept that we want to fully grasp. Not just understanding the pieces, not just hearing, you know, well, that's nice. But truly understanding that grace changes everything. It changes everything we're ever going to be, everything we're ever going to do. When we come to the realization of what that truly is all about, Paul understood everything in our life is going to derive its energy from that place. We, we run out of juice serving the Lord when we don't have a full grasp or understanding of what grace is all about. We struggle with, with the church and, and the people in church when we don't have a full grasp of what grace is all about. When we don't get that this whole thing, this whole understanding of salvation for you and for me doesn't have anything to do with me. And everything to do with God and what God has given and what God has done. As we've been looking through the book of Galatians, in chapter 1 and 2, Paul's personal with us. He tells us his, his personal journey, how grace affected him, what grace did in his life. And when you think about Paul's life, I mean, let's think about it. He went from the greatest persecutor the church has ever known to its, its perhaps greatest figure in, in doctrine and theology, certainly. Writing... Uh, 13 books of the New Testament from a guy who hated God, or hated the church, thought he was serving God in other ways. But he came face to face with grace, and grace changed everything. You remember he was on a road to Damascus. He was on his way to kill Christians, to to wipe out uh, the church there in Damascus. And he comes face to face with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to him, just in case he's not sure about the the work he thought he had been doing for the Lord. Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What what, what does that feel like? What does it feel like to, to spend your whole life desiring to see God and in your flesh doing all the things, keeping all the rules and regulations, living your life on that tightrope saying, I am above reproach. I am, I am walking as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm doing what God wants. What's it like to come face to face with God and have God say, why are you persecuting me? Why have you dedicated your whole life to something that is not making you right with God? And Paul, just seeing the, the Shekinah of God, the glory, the majesty of, of the Lord, is, is blinded. Has to be led by the hand. But what was it that God required of him? God introduced him to grace. He gave him what he didn't deserve. And Paul, Saul, was never the same. Saul, which means exalted one, became Paul, which means little one. At one time he thought a lot about all the things he had done. But he would tell us in the scripture, doesn't he? All those things I count as loss compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ. Of understanding his grace. Chapter 3 and 4, he, he lays out for us in Galatians his, his doctrinal statement. This is how Paul writes his books. 
He, he, he has a section personal, a section doctrinal, and a section that's practical application. What do I do about this then? Understanding this, now what? In chapter 3 and 4, he laid out for us this, this battle that sneaks into our life with legalism. Why? Because every one of us, you and me included, we got this little thing in us called pride. And pride's sneaky. Pride can come to you and say things like, yeah, you know, I'm just not very good. And it, could, it could be all dressed up in a false sense of humility. It can say all the things, but the reality is, that's all about pride. I'm looking for, for man's approval, what man will say. When legalism cre- creeps into our life, Paul said, this subtle little legalism comes in and it robs you. Of all the joy, of all the beauty, of all the wonder that you have, that you experience in grace. It'll rob it all. He, he describes it to us like this. He says that the, the Christian, the Christian who walks by faith, this is what walking by faith looks like. When he walks by faith, he will experience the inner discipline of God, not relying on the outer discipline of man-made rules. No man could become a rebel who depends on God's grace, yields to God's spirit, lives for others, and seeks to glorify God. That's what it means to walk by faith. To walk by faith. Break it down. Who depends on God's grace, yields to God's spirit, lives for others, and seeks to glorify God. Well... What does it look like when man's living by legalism? Well, he would describe that to us this way. Compare this to the man that lives in bondage to the rules, to the law, depending on the flesh, living for self, and seeking the praise of men and not the glory of God. In chapters 3 and 4, he he built several designs. He said, God wants you to be a son, but we in legalism choose to be a slave. He explained to us what the law did. He said that the law only brings us to Christ. That the law was until Christ. And now we fulfill the law being in Christ Jesus. We put our trust in Him. Not what I do, what He did. And in a lot of ways it's a subtle difference. But that's where all the power in the Christian walk comes from. It's where all the joy comes from. That it never did really depend on me. It depends on Him. And my ability to trust Him. To yield to His Spirit. To live for others and glorify God. That's what it is to walk by faith. But you see, legalism, it it, it develops these lists of rules that will help you. And you're going to follow these rules. And what am I leaning into? I'm pressing into my flesh. I'm going to do. Not Jesus Christ has done. So, as Paul brings this around to us, as he brings this concept around, he wants us to apply these concepts. How do we apply these concepts? Listen, as we consider that the the surrendered Christian depends upon the Spirit, he's not denying the law of God. He fulfills the law of God in the Spirit. Not denying what the Word of God teaches, I'm relying on the Spirit to give me the ability to be what God's calling me to be. 
As you got your fingers here in Galatians chapter 5, flip over real quick to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at just a couple of verses. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4. Okay, the believer, the one who walks by faith, who puts his trust in God, not into rules and regulations, who lives his life yielding to the Spirit, who lives his life seeking how he may touch the lives of others and glorify God. How is this accomplished? Listen, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. By faith, yielding to the Spirit, we fulfill God's righteous requirement. It's all by faith. It's all believing God's Word, accepting God's Word, moving forward from God's Word. So what does Paul say? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says then, Stand fast! Therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free. Stand fast. He says, look, don't walk away from this incredible gift of living a life sola fide. In faith alone. In Christ alone. It's not about our performance. When we recognize that I am saved by faith, by trusting, putting my trust, placing my weight in Jesus Christ. That He does the work. That He fulfilled the the law. By yielding to His Spirit, I can walk and be who God wants me to be. I realize it's not about me. And it changes everything. It changes everything. It changes why we do the things that we do. But he says we have to stand fast. Because that subtle little trick will come along and say, but you know what? If you do this, you're a better Christian. If you do this, you're going to be more holy and spiritual. And they're good things that those speak of. But as soon as I put my trust in my morning devotions, as soon as I put my trust in my my baptism, as soon as I put my trust in anything other than Jesus Christ, I am a legalist. Because now I'm saying it's something I did. And that's why Paul says that's bad. It's something Jesus did. And we receive from him. We receive it by faith in Him, trusting in Him. Does that mean it's, it's bad to be baptized or it's bad to have morning devotions? Of course not. Is my faith, is my trust in that? Or is my trust in Jesus Christ? The difference is subtle. Why do I do morning devotions? Because I love Jesus and I want to spend time with Him. Did it make me holy? No, Jesus makes me holy. Does it help me grow? Certainly, it helps me grow. Would I suggest everyone does it? Absolutely. If you love Jesus, spend time with Him. If you love Jesus, draw near unto Him. 
But keep your faith and trust in him, not in what we do, but what he did, what he has already accomplished. Look what he says. He says, and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Scripture speaks of three different yokes. One of these three yokes you will wear. You decide which one. Lamentations uh, chapter 4 talks about the yoke of sin. The yoke of sin. Are you going to wear the yoke of sin? Here in Galatians chapter 5, we speak of the yoke of bondage, which is legalism. You can put on the yoke of bondage, being entangled again in the bondage of what are you able to do in your flesh. Or Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 tells us the yoke we want. The yoke of Christ. The yoke of Christ. Paul says, don't be entangled again. What did the yoke do? Folks, the yoke attached the animal to the burden. The yoke attached the animal to the burden. If you want to put on that burden, if you want to say, hey, it's my job to make me good and walk in legalism, you are placing a burden upon yourself and your flesh that you cannot achieve. Or Jesus said, you can come and put his yoke upon you. Do you remember what he said? He said, for my yoke is easy. Easy. By the way, that word easy in the Greek means my yoke is gentle and kind. Why? Because Jesus shoulders the burden. He did the work. Take my yoke upon you. Any of you who are who labor and are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Rest, peace, joy, wearing the yoke of Christ. Paul says, don't go back to the yoke. Don't go back to legalism. Don't go back to thinking you can be good enough to God on your own merit. What does Isaiah tell us? Our sins are as filthy rags. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our sins, though they be scarlet, they can be white as snow. How are they white as snow? By a relationship with Jesus Christ. We put our trust in Him. Are my sins white as snow? Because though I struggle with alcohol, I never touch it again, and that made me white as snow? Absolutely not. By faith in Jesus Christ, I'm white as snow. Even though I struggle. Right? That's what God's word declares to us. Don't put on that yoke of bondage. Indeed, in verse 2, I, Paul, I say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. If you go back, what was this, the whole problem that these people had, guys? It's real simple. They wanted you to be circumcised in order to be saved. You ever notice something about legalism and people that want to put themselves under the law? They like to pick and choose which laws that they want to put themselves under. The Bible doesn't make that correlation. You want to live under the law, you live under all 613 commandments. Or you live by grace that Jesus Christ fulfills the law as we yield ourselves unto his spirit. And so as we take a look, he says, listen, I, Paul, I'm the Pharisee, guys. I'm telling you, if you're circumcised, Christ will do or or, or will avail you nothing. 
What's he saying? If you put your faith in that act, then Christ is of no effect. People can do the same thing, guys, putting their faith in an act in the church today. I put all my faith in the act of baptism. I put all my faith in the act of of going through a particular class or taking a, a particular course or earning a particular degree. Or I put my faith in Christ. If our faith is misplaced, if our faith is in any of those other things, Paul would say, then Christ avails you nothing. It is of no effect. Your trust is in something you do. Circumcision never saved anybody. Ever. Even in the Old Testament, salvation came by faith alone in Christ alone. That's how salvation comes. Paul says, look, I'm, I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, I've been through it. Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Paul says, you don't get to pick and choose. Listen, if you want to live by works of your flesh, if you want to please God by works of the flesh, his requirement is seen throughout the pages of the Old Testament. God said, be ye perfect as I am perfect. That's God's requirement. 613 commandments. Anybody remember 613? How about this? They remember 10? On a good day, the good news, because there's the, the 10 commandments are right back there on the ground behind Corey. So if I get him to hold them up, I'd be pretty good. I, I think I'd be able to, to give me the hints I need to get through the 10 commandments. Remember 613? You don't get to pick and choose what things within the law you want to follow. If you're putting your trust in the law, then Paul says you've got to do it all. Or you put your trust in Christ. See, Jesus Christ wants your whole heart. Not a piece, not a little part, not a little thing where you give him his due and you say, Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe. Remember, we read this in the book of James. The demons believe and tremble. That's not saving faith. Saving faith comes from putting your weight into Christ. Putting yourself in Him. Paul says, listen guys. Listen, I testify, you must keep them all. For you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Man, I never want to be in that place where I'm estranged from Christ because I'm putting my faith in me. Instead of in him. Well, we all love great stories. I, I love the stories of, of people who have made the ultimate sacrifice for Christ. And I used to think the ultimate sacrifice for Christ was dying in service to him. And that's great. That's awesome. But he would call us to live in service to him. To live for Christ. Paul would say, for me to live is Christ, being with him, a part of him. I don't want to be estranged from him. I become estranged as soon as I put the weight on me to bear the burden for what has occurred in my life. I make the sacrifice of Christ nothing by saying this depends on me. It either depends on Christ alone 
Or it depends on me alone. But it can't depend on Christ and me. It's Him. It's a work He has done. It's my faith placed in Him. This last weekend, I I kind of felt bad for a fellow named Bratzman. He had a rough day, didn't he? Had a rough day. Our beloved Boise has fallen. In order to retain my salvation, I had to turn the TV off in the third quarter. (laughs) But, listen, it would be... It would be wrong for Mr. Brotsman to say that it's all his fault. Because that disregards the other 10 men on the field and the other 50 guys that played in that game and the effort that they put in. A team stands or falls together. If I go and say that my salvation depends on my performance and my ability to keep these rules, I make the work of Christ of no effect. And I put the burden on me. And that is pride. Pride says, it's all me. It was all my fault. Sounds humble. It sounds honest. It sounds like you're taking responsibility. And in a lot of ways, maybe those things are true. But it's also a very prideful statement. Especially in regard to our relationship with God. Considering all that Jesus Christ has done for us. My faith, my trust, my hope in Christ alone. I don't want to be estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now, if you like to write in your Bibles, I got wait circled about 42 times. Why? Because it says, wait, not work. We wait. We put our faith and trust in Christ and we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. When does that occur? At Christ's return by faith. We wait. There is nothing that I can do to make me righteous other than put my trust in Him. There's nothing that anybody else can do to make them righteous short of putting their hope and trust in Christ. Everything that they are is in Him. He does the work. Don't rob Jesus Christ of the sacrifice He made for you by saying your righteousness depends on your keeping a list of rules. So, What does faith do? It eagerly waits for Jesus Christ. It eagerly waits for that day when we will walk in righteousness. Our righteousness is imputed today. God looks at us and says, you're righteous because of your relationship with my son. But one day at his return, the Bible says, we'll be like him. The battle's over. The the war between the flesh 
and the spirit between my carnal nature and my spiritual nature. It's done on that day. The scripture says, so what do we do? We wait eagerly for Jesus to finish the work he's begun in you. For if I begin a work, what did Jesus say? I will see it to completion. Has God begun a work in you? Then he'll finish the work. What are we required to do? Trust him. Yeah, but I need to. And I got to. How many of you guys? I see it a hundred times. Every time we've ever been involved with Warriors on the Wall ministry, you know what happens? You sign up for Warriors on the Wall. You put yourself under bondage. You put on a yoke of bondage to pray in for that hour. You don't fulfill because in your flesh, can you do it? Nope. In your flesh, you will always find something else to do, somewhere else to be. You don't fulfill it. You stop praying. You feel bad. You you take your name off the list and you say, "I, I just can't do that. Okay, back up. It's not rules and regulations. It's trusting in Jesus Christ, yielding to his spirit, living a life for others, desiring to glorify him. I'm not trying to perform in my flesh. I'm just trying to love God. And when I change my focus and it's no longer a work of my flesh, something that I have to do and I'm burdened to, and rather it's an opportunity for me to love on the Lord, it changes my attitude. And that changes everything else. It's a response of love. I love God, so I pray. I don't pray, so God will love me. He already does that. I pray to love him back. I pray to show him that I care. It doesn't make make God love me more or love me less by fulfilling it. But it gives me an opportunity to press into his, to, 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 to who he is, to press in to his presence. And say, man, I got an opportunity to lift up my brothers and sisters and the, and the church body and people who are hurting. And, I, and it's all about peop, other people, not about me. It's all about loving Jesus Christ, not earning something from him. It makes me free. Where at one time I was in bondage to a ministry, now I'm free to do the exact same thing. Because it's not in me. It's in Christ. The ability to do it doesn't come from me. It comes from yielding to his spirit. It's all him. It's not me. It's all him. Paul wants us to grasp. He wants us to understand. So through the spirit, we eagerly wait. We look for the return of Jesus Christ. We desire to see the end of that battle. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Do you hear what he said? Hey, in Christ, doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter circumcised or not circumcised. What how do we see Christ working in you? Faith working through love. That's what it's all about. How did this whole thing begin? John 3.16 tells us, right? God so what? Loved. That he gave. That's it. God so loved that he gave. 
And then he looks and he says, listen, here's how faith works in your life. Here's how faith is poured out in your life. It's poured out in your life through love. Where'd that love come from? Romans chapter 5 tells us, where'd that love come from? His spirit. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I yield to his spirit. Romans chapter 5, it it lays out for us. The love of God is poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. How do I get the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, you ask. What else did he say? You have not because you ask not. Or you ask amiss, so you can spend it on yourself. Remember the third thing? That we would be other-centered, that we live for others, not about me. Folks, we're selfish people. We're born that way. The first words a baby says is not my, my, dad, dad. First words a baby says is mine. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, they learned that concept real quick. Real quick, right? I remember when my kids were growing up, mine, mine, mine. When you had one, it was okay. Because pretty much everything was his. But then you have another one. And now that older one is expected to relinquish the concept that everything in this house is mine. And the little baby who can't even verbalize yet will reach up and grab one of his toys right out of his hand and take it. And we look at him and say, oh, it's not yours, it's his. Now the baby owns everything in the house. We are selfish beings. But by yielding to his spirit and placing our trust in Christ, we can become like Jesus, other-centered, focused on others. Let each of you not only look out for his own needs, but for the needs of others. What Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. To be other-centered, focused on what other people need. How does that happen? By faith working through love. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the long list of rules and regulations in every church. By the love. They'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. The unfortunate thing is most people look at a church and say a church is full of hypocrites. You know, we've talked about it before. Yes, church is full of hypocrites, and so is McDonald's, and they go there still. <laughs> Truly. But that, that's on us. Is it on our performance? Uh-uh. What does it show? Our, our inability to trust in him and yield to his spirit and stop trying to do it ourselves, Folks, I can fake loving people for a while. But you can't do that forever. Sooner or later, you have a bad day, huh? But Jesus doesn't have a bad day. He never does. He never stops loving you. He never stops loving me. And that love, he never withholds from you and I. If we will yield to his spirit and stop thinking it's something I work up in me. I can work it up. Put on my game face. Get out there and love the people. No, man. Just love Jesus and the love will pour out of you. You won't be able to hold it back. It's him, not us. 
It's something that he does. Our faith working through love. Why? Because love always does more than law. Love always does more than law. So when we understand this walk, this Christian walk of putting our faith and trust in the grace of God, faith in Christ, that he does a work in my life, I will do more than my brother who's trying to live by rules and regulations. I'll do more because it's Christ working in me, not me trying to accomplish it myself. He goes on in verse 7, well, you ran well. That breaks my heart. It's past tense. Well, you ran well. You started good. You started with great guns. Man, you look good coming out of the gate. But then what does he say? You ran well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you? The picture in the Greek of that word hindered is somebody coming along and breaking up the road in front of you. Just, just busting it up. Big old potholes, a big old mess. Who, who made the path that you were called to walk so confusing? That's what he's asking them. You were running well. Who made your path all messed up? Who made it confused? Who made it broken? For this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Do you hear that? This persuasion does not come from God. This idea that you keep this list of rules and regulations. This idea that you are responsible for your salvation. Only in as much as you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And you put your weight in Him. And you allow Him to do the work. And He becomes the one working in our lives. In verse 9 He says, For a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You just bring in a little bit of legalism. Oh, it's just a little thing, really. It's just... Just a small deal. Just a little thing. Here's the little thing in the church I grew up. It's a little thing. Just a small deal. When you come into church, you know, the elders all got together and said, wear a belt for crying out loud and tuck your shirt in. It's God's house. So you come into God's house with your shirt tucked in and a belt on. This was going on in the Jesus movement. Anybody remember the Jesus movement? Jesus movement hit California like a lot of other fads hit California. And, and people were flocking to the beaches and being baptized and getting saved. And really, Calvary Chapel is, is birthed out of that, that movement, a, almost a counterculture to what religion or church had been up until that time. And we had a young man fired up for Jesus and reaching out and touching people. Kids were coming to know him. And he come walking into church one day with his shirt hanging out of his pants like I do today. And no belt. And the elder stopped him at the door. Tuck in your shirt, son. And next week you come with a belt. Just a little thing, right? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. He never came back to church again. Now I don't know where he went from there. That's his choice. What a dumb thing to put some kind of rule or regulation on how someone can come to Christ. You could come to Christ any way you want to come to Christ. And you can wear flip-flops in my church anytime you want. And tie-dye shirts, 
and genes? Because does that do anything for your righteousness? Gosh, come on. It's not about that stuff. It's about Him. It's about coming to Him and learning to take off our, our religious mask, the bondage we put ourselves in, and stand before God naked and say, this is who I am. Because it, God, it didn't surprise the Lord. Guess what? He already knew how you were. Who's it for? Me. Because until I stand there and say, God, this is what I am, a sinner saved by grace, I can't do nothing right. Now I'm free. Because I was in bondage until then. I was in bondage until I stood before God and said, this is who I am. I, 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 I can't seem to do anything right. I can't get it together. I, I mess up all the time. God's not up there going, oh my gosh, I never knew any of this. What am I going to do? The Lord saying, finally you see. And now you're free. You're free from trying to be all that and realizing that you accomplish that by your relationship with me, your trust in me, your hope in me. That's what he wants us to grasp. That's what he wants us to understand. That little bit of legalism will mess it all up. So what does Paul say in verse 10? I have confidence in you, in the Lord. Catch that last part? I have confidence in you, in the Lord. You know that we all let each other down? You put your hope and trust in me, folks, you're going to be disappointed. We might be hanging out and I'll walk by and I won't say hi. And you'll say, what a jerk. Can't believe he just walked by and didn't even say nothing. Man. Sorry. But in the Lord, we won't do that. Yielded to the Lord, yielded to His Spirit. In the Lord, we see each other totally different, don't we? In the Lord, I don't see your performance, I see a brother. Right? And that's a totally different relationship, isn't it? It should be. The relationship that I have with my brothers and sisters in the church almost rivals the relationship I have with my real brothers. Because that's the same kind of relationship that it is. We got the same dad. He works in our lives and makes us new. That's what we want to do. That's how we want to walk. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind. He who troubles you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Don't let somebody tell you there's something you got to do. And always, you know, we got, we got folks that will come and tell you, hey, If you're not worshiping God a certain way or on a certain day, then you are worshiping the devil and you're not doing things right. Really? Yep. Is that what the Bible says? No. Uh -uh. Paul said, worship every day. Remember, love always does more. Law worships on a certain day only. Love sees every day the same. Every day the same. Law likes to pick and choose. I like this day. But I don't accept the rest of the rule. I don't do the whole take the the seventh year off. You don't? Uh Uh-uh. How come? Because I like the Sabbath being Saturday. But the Sabbath year, I don't like that part. And I don't wait for, for 50 years to forgive all debts and give my land back to the people who originally owned it. 
You don't do that? No. I just like the Sabbath day. I don't like the year of Jubilee. That's all part of the Sabbath law. You live by law, what did the Lord say? You do it all. You live by Christ, he did it all. Yippee. I like that part. He did it all. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Love always does more than what the law requires. What is it that Paul said? Every day is the same. So those people who try to put burdens on you, Paul says, man, just, just, just let their judgment be upon them. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? For the offense of the cross has ceased. Listen, if I say it's all about what you do, then there's no problem. Guys, I could go out today and preach a message to the world and they will all accept me and love me and say, why doesn't the rest of Christianity follow Jackie when he says that his relationship with God depends on him doing all these things? Yes, your, your relationship with God. You can have a relationship with God. All you have to do is follow these rules. That's what every other religion says. And everybody's okay with that. As soon as you come and say, you don't have to do any of that. It's the cross of Christ. Now people have a problem. Now there's a problem. Paul says, I don't, I don't preach the circumcision. If I did, nobody would persecute me. I preach the cross. Why do they persecute? Because one way I make it all about your ability and your pride kicks in and you smile and say, I can. And the other way, your pride is, is hurt. I can't do this? Me? Really? You sure? I mean, most people can't, but surely I can. The pride has to be set aside. Jesus said, if you come after me, you must die to yourself and take up your cross. How many times? Daily. Take up your cross daily. Put the cross upon you. Follow me. Put this yoke upon you for it's easy, it's gentle, it's kind. Come on. I do it. Then it kicks out the pride. People don't like that. They like to think that they're a part of what's going on. They like to think that they have something to do with it. But when we do that, we make the cross of no effect. For I could wish those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. I'll leave that to your imagination. And in essence, he says, those guys who want you to be circumcised to fulfill the law, tell them to go castrate themselves. I didn't say it, Paul did. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You've been called to freedom. You've been set free. Only, he says, don't use your liberty for license. That's the big worry, right? You can't go into the church and preach grace, because if you do, everybody's going to live however they want. No, you got it wrong. If you understand grace, love does more. If you got it right, love does more. Not less. He says, only make your liberty, don't make your liberty an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. This is what we walk in liberty. This is how we walk in freedom. We walk in freedom. How do we walk in freedom? By not using it as an opportunity for the flesh, by not saying, I can do whatever I want. But by realizing what God's calling me to is love. What kind of love? The love of Jesus Christ. Who gives me that love? He does. 
It's not something I work up in myself. No, he gives me that love. And where do I put that love? On me? No, he says, love, in love, serve one another. Serve one another. Meet one another's needs. Focus on one another. Why? For all the law is fulfilled in one word. All the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's the one word that fulfills all the law? Love. What's the one word that fulfills all the law? Love. Where does that love come from? Jesus Christ. I can't work it up in myself? No. Is it something that I'm supposed to pour out upon myself? No. He'll pour it out on me. I'm supposed to give it to others. I'm supposed to allow it to pass through me, to reach into other people's lives. Love of Christ flowing through me. Grace changes everything. It changes it all. It's not on me. It's on Christ. So I need to press into Him. That's my one focus. I only have to do one thing. This one thing I do, Paul said. Forgetting all those failures in my past, I press on toward who? Jesus Christ. I draw near to Him. Press in to Him. All the laws fulfilled in one word. Even the law of the Sabbath. Love. Love your neighbors. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love fulfills the law. By the way, 1 John chapter 4 tells us who is love. God is love. God is love. And those who love God are born of God and know God. Those who do not love do not know God. For God is love. This young man, maybe some of you guys can relate with him, his name's Chad. And Chad, growing up in school, never really fit in with anybody else, you know. And when he was in, uh, when he was in uh, grade school, you know how they still do that, that, that Valentine's thing? Well, back when I was a kid, it was kind of on you to do that, you know. And so... Every day his mom would sit outside and she'd watch him come home from the bus stop. And there'd be a big group of kids walking in front of him, but he was never in the group. For whatever reason, they never really liked him. He, he tried to fit in, but he just didn't fit in. You know, for whatever was up, they, they didn't care about him at all, it seemed like. And it breaks a mom's heart. Breaks a mom's heart to watch that. Well, Chad come home one day and he's all excited about Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, Mama, I want to make a Valentine for every kid in my class. And his mom's saying, oh, I wish he wouldn't do this. He's probably not even going to get one. Probably not one kid in the class is going to remember him. Oh, I wish he wouldn't do this. It's just going to destroy him. To think as he gives these, these Valentines that, that, that nobody's going to respond. But... Chad, he was set on it, man. I'm making Valentine's. And he sat down and he, and he put together Valentine's, made them each one by hand. Each one. You know, thinking about that child in his class, that person, he made this Valentine for him. It took him three days, but he made every one. And on that day, he went to school with his Valentine's and he was all happy and his mom was at home. Oh, what am I going to do with the pieces when he comes home? 
What's it going to be like when he comes back disappointed that nobody gave him even one? Ah, so I don't know what, I don't know. But Chad goes, he goes to, to school and then she sees, she, she comes outside. She's hoping something's going to be different. And she looks out the window and she sees that big group of kids. Chad's still behind it. Don't look so happy. That big group of kids goes by the house. Chad turns inside and, and his mom's just waiting for what he's going to say. And as he gets to the door, he says, not even one and she goes oh i knew it i knew it i knew it all she made a bunch of cookies and had milk for him you know to try to to comfort him you know and 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 he said it again not even one and she looked at him but he had a big smile on his face he said mom i didn't forget even one kid i remembered every one Mom forgot. It's not about him. It's not about what you get. Chad got it. God so loved the world that he gave. It's about what he could give away. Isn't that what God did for us? He gave. And if not one gave anything back, he still would have gave. Everything he had, he gave. That needs to be our focus. We want to walk like he walked. It's not what I do, just trusting in him, yielding to his spirit, living my life for others, looking to glorify God in what I do. And I am walking in the spirit, not according to the flesh. Walking in the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you help us grasp this concept of, of grace. What grace is all about. What grace does in our life. That we would be different. That we, we wouldn't get hung up on performance, but we get hung up on you. That we love you. We love you so much that we do. We love you so much that we give. We love you so much. Lord God, may we fall more and more in love with you. And that would be our focus. My love in Jesus Christ. My love in him for all I'm worth. My love in him for all he's done. Father, as we look to you, we come to you and we say, God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for not making it about me, but making it about you. Because I am weak, but you are strong. If my salvation depended on me, I would fail. But my salvation depends on you. For you said, I will. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the grace that you have bestowed upon me. And may we go from this place, ignited by your love, a desire to yield to your spirit. That you would do the work in us. That you would make the lives that we live, so much more than a list of rules and regulations, but just a response because I love you. I love you for what you've done for me, for who you are, for what you gave. I want to be like you. I want to be like you. God, make us like you so that we can go from this place 
and ignite the hearts of people who are looking for this. Everybody wants this freedom to experience in Christ. Everyone needs this freedom in Christ, but they think it's somewhere else, and so they put on a yoke of bondage. They put on a yoke of sin. What they need is the yoke of Christ. Help us, God, to rightly reflect who you are so people look at us and say, I want what they got. The love of Christ flowing through us. Help us to yield to your spirit, to trust only in you and not in what we do. Help us live for others and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to close in a a song of worship. And I invite you to stay and and worship with us. And uh, I'd also invite you to be careful on your way home. (laughs) Drive carefully. And get off the road as soon as possible so I can go home. (laughs) I have to wait. I'm, I'm not so good at the drive carefully part yet. But I'm working on it. Um, if any of you guys has anything you'd like to pray about, we'll have prayer counselors around the room. Feel free to come on up and, and uh, spend some time in prayer. God bless you and go in peace. Uh, one thing, uh, after church, we're going to pray over Jackie because he's going on a fact-finding mission for our tour to Israel. And we're going to pray over him and David with his lung. We need to pray over that. And I urge you, I mean, we have prayer counselors here. If you need some prayer, this is, this is the engine room to, to press into Jesus, press into him. And we are here to pray over anything that you guys need. So right after the song, we'll, we'll pray over Jackie and, and David and uh, anybody else who needs it. Thank you. This is an electric song, so if it's a little hard, our prayer counselors will be on the sides over here where it's a little less loud. Oh, this year, shout the news to everyone. It's a new day, peace has gone.